0: Hi, I'm Adam Phillips, and I love comics. Sure, I love superhero comics, but I also love comics that are funny, or romantic, or educational, or even kind of filthy. Some have been around for decades, but I have a special place in my heart for the ones that came and went in the blink of an eye. We call them one shots, and some of them you may have heard of, while others might make you ask, why? This is One Shot Wonders. One of my favorite weird moments from the early days of Marvel Comics occurs in Tales of Suspense number 49. We're 11 issues into Iron Man's run, and this story guest stars the Angel from the X Men. It went on sale October 8th, 1963, so we're talking pretty early in what would soon be known as the Marvel Age of Comics. Page 1 of the story has a large, prominently placed caption that reads, The Angel and the X-Men appear in this story through the courtesy of the editors of the X-Men magazine. The Avengers are depicted briefly on these pages by special arrangement with the copyright owners of the Avengers magazine. And on the cover, there's a big arrow-shaped caption pointing to the Angel with text that reads, Guest starring, by special arrangement with the X-Men magazine, THE ANGEL! The obvious question is, who did Stanley think he was kidding? Stan was both the editor and writer of Iron Man, the X-Men, and the Avengers, and they were all published by the same company, so there's no mysterious copyright owner anyone had to negotiate with. There are lots of things you can point to as possible reasons for Marvel's success in the 1960s, and I'm sure lots of them would be valid, but one of them has to be the fact that Marvel published so few comics each month that Stan Lee could oversee them all. Not to go too far down this rabbit hole, But for anyone who's not aware, in 1956, during the comic's juvenile delinquency witch hunt, Marvel publisher Martin Goodman shut down his distribution company and signed up with another distributor, only to learn that the new distributor was in bad financial shape and was about to stop carrying comics altogether. To stay in business at all, Marvel signed up with DC's distributor, and they limited Marvel's output to eight titles per month. This was the same Marvel that in the late 1940s to mid-1950s would flood the market with whatever was hot at the moment. Western comics, crime comics, romance comics, you name it. As the Marvel age of comics dawned in the 1960s, that limited output started to look almost like an advantage. A typical month of Marvel comics in the mid-1960s might include Fantastic Four, Amazing Spider-Man, The Avengers, The X-Men, Daredevil, Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos, Journey into Mystery, starring Thor, plus the split books Strange Tales, starring Doctor Strange and Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., Tales of Suspense, starring Captain America and Iron Man, and Tales to Astonish, starring the Hulk and Submariner. Yes, that's more than eight titles, and that's not including westerns like Rawhide Kid, or humor titles like Millie the Model, or Annuals. But somehow Marvel managed to stretch beyond the eight titles restriction either with bi-monthly titles or possibly by taking creative advantage of the four, five-week months in every year. The point is that Stan Lee could keep his eye on all the books, even the few he didn't write himself. He didn't have to squabble with other editors like they did at DC, and he certainly didn't have to ask anyone for permission to borrow their characters. Things started to change in 1966. That was when DC's distributor let up on the restrictions they had placed on Marvel. Just a little at first, possibly due to the growing popularity of Marvel's lineup, or maybe due to the new animated TV series based on Marvel titles. 1966 saw the debut of the long running reprint series Marvel Tales, as well as Fantasy Masterpieces, a reprint series that would soon change its title to Marvel Superheroes and become a tryout title. But an even bigger change was about to take place. In late 1967, Marvel canceled Tales of Suspense and Tales to Astonish, followed by Strange Tales in February 1968. In their places, all six of the heroes from those titles would graduate to new series, three of which would get new number one issues, and three of which would continue the numbering from the anthology titles that were just canceled. Captain America number 100 and The Incredible Hulk number 102 were published in January 1968, followed by Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. number one, and Dr. Strange number 169 in February 1968. What about Iron Man and Submariner, you ask? Well, for some reason, in January 1968, Marvel published the one and only issue of Iron Man and Submariner, a one-shot, never-to-be-repeated pairing of these heroes. It even says so on the cover. Iron Man and Submariner wouldn't launch into their own series until February 1968. As for the stories themselves... Through the next chapters of what was going on in the continuing sagas of Iron Man and Submariner separately. In the Iron Man story, written by Archie Goodwin, with art by Gene Colan and Johnny Craig, the hero is drained of power on board a gambling ship operated by the Magia, just as agents of AIM attack the ship, led by the villainous Whiplash. Side note, I always thought that, for a publisher who gave us great organization names like S.H.I.E.L.D., Hydra, and AIM... Magia stood out as a particularly terrible name for the Marvel version of organized crime. At the start of the story, Iron Man is strapped to a table with a laser pointing at him, a la James Bond in Goldfinger. With one hand, he disconnects a power cable and plugs it into his battery pod, giving him the power he needs to break free, find his way into the casino, stop Ames' incursion onto the ship, and face off with Whiplash. In his own story, written by Roy Thomas, with art by Gene Colan and Frank Giacoia, Namor faces an as-yet-unnamed foe with mental powers. Holding Submariner at bay, the villain, who would eventually be named Destiny, tells him his origin, which includes an excursion to the Antarctic led by none other than Captain Leonard McKenzie, the Submariner's father. Even though the story ends in what seems to be McKenzie's death, Namor really doesn't react much to any of it. He's 100% focused on escaping and beating his captor. The fact that the bad guy's origin involves his own father seems to go completely unnoticed. For the record, the cover art on Iron Man and Submariner number 1 is by Gene Colan, who was still the artist of both series, with inks by the creator of Submariner, Bill Everett. The big question to me is, why does this title even exist? There may be a reason hidden on a bullpen bulletins page somewhere, but if it exists, I haven't seen it. Here are my best guesses. One, Gene Colan, the artist on both Iron Man and Submariner, was so far ahead on his work schedule that he'd already drawn much of the next 10-page chapters of both series. There are problems with this theory. First, Marvel could have produced another 10-page story for both heroes without too much trouble for their new number one issues. And artists who were that far ahead of their deadlines, well... Let's just say they're pretty rare and leave it at that. Okay, theory number two. Marvel was wary of putting out too many new series at the same time. This theory doesn't make much sense either. The old series were canceled over the course of a few months, which put the launch of Doctor Strange and Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. after the start of the new series for Iron Man and Submariner, even with the one-shot in between. How about theory number three, which is that Marvel needed a little extra time to figure out who would draw the new Iron Man and Submariner series. Their writers, Archie Goodwin on Iron Man and Roy Thomas on Submariner, would continue straight through from the old series to the new. But artist Gene Colan would only draw Iron Man number 1 before moving over to Doctor Strange, leaving Iron Man in the hands of artist Johnny Craig for a few issues before George Tuska took over. John Buscema came on board with Submariner number 1, is it possible that he and Johnny Craig weren't ready for the assignments when they would have had to start? It seems a little unlikely, given that Craig was already inking Iron Man, and John Busemmel was one of Marvel's real workhorses at the time. Or, theory number four, is it possible that, with Gene Colin drawing both series, Stanley figured it would be easier to get the other new monthly series up and running before tackling Iron Man and Submariner? Again, it's not super likely given that the Iron Man and Submariner number 1 issues went on sale at the start of February 1968, the same month as Doctor Strange 169 and Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. number 1. At this point, it's very possible that we'll never know the exact reason why this issue was published. All we can say for sure is that it's another One-Shot Wonder. Thanks for listening to One-Shot Wonders. I'll be back next week with another One-Shot comic. Meanwhile, hit the subscribe button, leave me a review, tell your friends, and go buy some comics.